A person that, if he wants to, it's an interesting idea. A person who wants life, a person wants life, if a person wants life, if a person really wants life, so he should strengthen himself constantly. Breaking his midas, breaking his character traits. And if not, why does he, why, why does he need life? The, the God over here says a very interesting perspective of life. Possible to exist, but not to be alive. If a person wants to be alive, one has to see how he can break himself out <coughs> of the default somnambulist state that we will regress to if we don't make an effort to do otherwise. The nature of life is, and the nature of existence is, that man is created with what the Messiah Shorim calls Ophrius Achomius. He's created with a, an internal emotional gravity that will pull him into a state of inactivity and a state of a lack of productivity unless he openly resists it. In order for a person to experience the beauty and the taste of life, he needs to be able to break his default setting. A person needs to break his midot is to break. When I say break, I mean as follows. We have different drives and urges. In order to be able to gain freedom, and I'll explain to you why it's, I'll try to explain to you why it's relevant to life, we have to be able to make sure that those pulls and wants and desires aren't the guiding forces in our decision-making process in life. It's a very hard thing to do. The, the way it pans out is as follows. A person is put in a situation where he's confronted by two delectable dishes. On the one hand, he's gone to a wedding and they're serving a wide variety of sushi. California rolls, waki curry, smaki dali. <laughs> These are new types of sushi which haven't yet been invented. And he looks at the array and he's pulled towards it. On the other table, there's a wide variety of deliciously roasted meats, roasted liver, deliciously spiced. And he's placed in this conflict of which he should go for first. As he's doing that, the music starts to play for the chassan to walk towards, the groom to walk towards the chuppah. And there's a real, a real suspicion that if he 
goes after the groom, by the time he comes back, the plate will be cleared. So now, the natural desire of the person will pull him towards either the sushi or the deliciously spiced meats. That's, what, that's where he'll go. That will be, in other words, he doesn't have to work on himself to go there. He may have to work on himself to opt for the sushi above the meat, or perhaps not, the other way around, it would depend. But he has the, the, there's no effort required to do that. That's where, that's where a person's natural gravitational, emotional, gravi- emotional gravity will pull you there. If you say, do you know what? There's something else going on over here. There's a person getting <coughs> married. There's a person getting married, and that is going to be a union, which is almost impossible to comprehend the significance of that, because it, it could bring about generations, it could bring new people into the world. That moment of connection between a chosen and kala is one of, possibly one of the, the greatest events that can ever occur in human existence. So that's on the one hand, and on the other hand, the sushi says, come to me, my precious. I'm speaking from a personal experience when I say I went for the sushi. <laughs> yes. What do you mean I'll catch the tail end of the chuppah? That's called being dead in life. Did you realize I, that after? I realized at the time. I thought, do you, do you mean, Siegel, that you're preparing the sushi to the chosen and kala? I said, it's good sushi. <laughs> <laughs> it's good sushi. I'm saying, it's not positive. How often do I get sushi? I mean, my wife but makes me sushi. Is, isn't that question that you had, even the... Even the the battle you're winning yourself, the fact that you even thought about it. Would you, uh, do you want me to pat myself on the back? I'm a great guy, Dave. I said Dave, I mean Mike. <laughs> it's confusing. <laughs> um, <gasps> it's pathetic. It's positive, it is pathetic. It is a pathetic way to live. And that's where I live day and night. Seeing the chuppah is not a be, someone says to you, I'm about to allow you to be a participant in one of the greatest events that could ever occur in the, in, 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 in the nature of humankind. And you say, oh, okay, what's the other options? So, well, you could, you could, you could, you could eat sushi. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, what's it? To understand that there's something degrading about that activity. So what do you have to do? You have to break yourself and you have to go sushi shmushi. And you have to break the desire until you say, on the contrary, I'm going to get myself out of the grasps of that disgusting trait. Now this trait kind of follows you around. I'm just giving you one example because I think it's relevant to me and to you, is it will stop you from sharing anything with your friends. Or <coughs> I'm, I'm happy to share, as long as it's enough for me. <laughs> ah, you know, if I can fool myself to the thing, you can have on the contrary. But if there's, I'm hungry and there's only enough for me, so then, it's not that I don't share, it's just that I make sure no one's around. <laughs> it's going to have your selfishness. I just want privacy. <laughs> that means that that's pathetic. What am I? A big baboon? I mean, don't answer. <laughs> so that's not called life. That's called, that's called going with default setting. And the place that that takes you to is a state of static experience of being which has an illusion of movement. But there's no real movement. Because the same desire to eat was the desire I was born with, which is a desire that if I don't change it, I will die with that same desire. If I break my middah, until this p- 
pull of the food becomes so not relevant to my life. We, it's not that I have a struggle. It's that it doesn't it doesn't feature. It doesn't feature. It's not like it's it's a chosen color. Oh, by the way, sushi. What are you talking about? You didn't see it. Somebody of Aaron Kotler. So nobody of Aaron Kotler. But the Chazanish. The Chazanish after his wife died, he lived he lived with his sister, the Stifler's wife. And um, they were brother and sister, and she took care of him. And uh, he said that if she wouldn't tell him that he that he'd eaten or that he hadn't eaten, he wouldn't know. Food, 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 food. Food is such. It's such. It's such an irrelevant. It's such a really irrelevant. I don't mean it's irrelevant. Uh, again, I also agree that if you don't eat, you tend to die physically. But the quantity and the quality of the food is essentially, in terms of what you can get out of life, and the quality of what you can get out of life. So the kind of quality you can get out of eating is, is the same quality that, that any other animal in this creation can get out of it. But from resisting the desire to eat, so only you can do that. Only you can do that. So a person that has the self-control and the mastery to be able to disdain, to be able to distance, to be able to be, to live to the degree that past Melach Toichal, he's happy with a, an old piece of bread. An old pe- give me an old piece of bread. He becomes so spiritually sensitized. sensitized. There's two points. First of all, he becomes in control. And then there's another thing. There's a tant of which says the following thing. It says, rather than a person davening that he should have Torah enter into his being, he should daven that good food, sweet foods, doesn't enter into his being. Because there's an element of bludgeoning one's senses, as we've discussed before. That if a person gets his nourishment from his lower being, so obstruct his higher being from experiencing anything. In order for a person to experience the pleasures of life, he has to be able to distance himself from the grosser pleasures to refine himself to the higher pleasures. And that's a very difficult thing to do. It requires self-mastery. So a person has to break it. Now you have to break yourself in ingenious and creative ways. A person's... I'll give you an example. The altar of Nevadak, a couple of stories about the altar of Nevadak. The altar of Nevadak was seated amongst a group of Bale Musa. I think we may have discussed this yesterday. And they were all discussing deep divratoya. And a plate of food was brought in to the room. And he said, Oh wow, the food's come. Now, he did that, so all the Bale Musa are very sensitive to this idea. To the fact that you have to be controlled I'll give you an example, I sensed that onto the idea. There was a, a person giving a drosha in Kelm, and he spoke in extreme and elaborate detail. He used as an analogy a person eating a bulka. Bulka is a sweet roll. And he described and he compared the bulka to something or other. After the, it was a brilliant schmooze. After the schmooze, they went over to the altar and they said, No, wasn't it amazing? The altar said, Prach! He just likes to eat. Because he understood that the fact that he used that as his analogy meant he could relate to the notion of food. So he said, he's nothing. 
that's how he thinks it. He, he has to use as an analogy food. That's where, that's where the richness of his description comes from. So the Bible must say they were, they, were, they were revolted by a person's love of food. They, they t- turned their stomachs inside out. So here you are seated amongst the greatest by the Muslim of the generation and they bring in the food and you go, Oh wow, the food's come. Now look at you with such disdain and who are you? And you meant to be the guy who they were looking up to. The ultimate Vardok. And he did it in such a way that it wasn't obvious that he was doing what he was doing. He was breaking his desire for honor. He was around all these people <laughs> who are the most... People who would be there appreciation would mean the most to him in the world. You know, it depends who they are. But you want your Rebbe to appreciate you the most. It's not like a little schnipsel that says, oh, you're a great guy. No, no. But if, you're, if your Rebbe says it, it's Gavaldic. So making a fool of yourself in front of your Rebbe means that even the person where you could get the most honor from, you try to find a way that you look and think, ah, what a noch schlepper. <coughs> and the altar commented uh, years later, he says, he still thinks that they didn't get that he was doing it just to break his middle of COVID. But he broke it until it doesn't matter who he went to a rich man. They said that there's a person called Mayor Atlas, and he used to go to a rich man. And the altar on Nevada was he used to go to the rich man. When the altar went, the 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 rich man used to open up and just give him fortunes of money. And when Mayor Atlas came, so he said he possibly didn't. He barely gave him any. He gave him, but he didn't give him a decent amount. So Matt listened to him, he once had the guts to ask him, he said, I don't understand, when the altar comes in here, he says, you give him a fortune, and when I come in here, he says, you give me, you give me so little, he says, what's up? He says, I'll tell you the difference. He says, the altar walks in the door, he doesn't knock, he flings the door open, he barges straight into my living room, he looks at me and he says to me, this is going to get you Elam Hapa? What are you talking about? When are you doing something for your turn of Voida? Spending your money chasing futile pleasures? So when the altar comes in, says the rich man, he says, I feel how worthless money is, and I feel I have to get anything I can for Elam Haba. So I open up my drawers and I give him all the money. He says, when you come in, you knock on the door, you treat me with great honor and respect, you address me with, with, with dignity. So I think, why is he doing this? It's not because I'm a big time chochem. It's because he thinks my money is choshev. Listen, if money is a choshev, I'm not letting go of it so easy. <laughs> But the only reason the altar could do that is because he wasn't looking for covet from anyone. You don't have to co- He went the entire way. Listen to this, another fascinating story. There's a person called Zeldovitz, I think was his name. A very rich man. And the altar traveled. They heard that he was opening up his... his he, he, he was willing to give a fortune of money. The altar travels to his, to his, to his town. And uh, he's going to the Shiva Bochim and they are considering hiring a carriage. He says, we can't spend the yeshiva's money on the carriage. It's not they go very simple transport and they get there. He gets there and the person intimated that he would give money on the condition he has some say in the running of the yeshiva. The ultimate said, uh-uh. He says, you're in charge of money. You don't say a word about how I run the yeshiva. The guy says, I'm not willing to give you. So he says, 100%. I don't need your money. The Rebbe gives me money. You give me money. I'm not interested in your money. Goes back and he's with his bochim and he goes and he hires a carriage. Bochim says, one, one second. How come you didn't hire a carriage on the way? He says, on the way here, we're traveling with the yeshiva's money. He says, now the British are paying for it. We can go out. <laughs> That's called a man with spirit. Man with spirit. A man who, who's alive in his Torah. What are we? Our Torah is like a 
senile old man. Yeah. Our davening is our learning is where's the passion for learning? Where's the passion for learning? We learn? Do you really learn? You're joking? You joking? Yeah. We don't learn. We don't learn. We sit and we scare we take up space in the base majors for a portion of the day. It's not called learning. What used to be learning be okay, we're not going learning used to be that you didn't used to in the mirror in Shanghai. Yes. When the mirror is in Shanghai, the mirror in, in the war years, the mirror was in Shanghai. They were escaping from from Russia, and they stayed in Shanghai it's for five years. It's a crazy story. Yeah, they got there, but they got there. They used that? to learn. There's a book on that. Operations of Rescue. Read the book. Don't interrupt this year. So there's a. They used to learn. They used to learn. It was so hot, that, and as you can imagine, there's not like a major, swarm industry in Shanghai, or at least of Jewish swarm. There are, there are, they did actually open up a printing press and print various, but they had to be very careful with their Gomorrahs. But the heat was oppressive, and they used to drip with sweat. So everyone used to learn <coughs> with a piece of plastic over his Gomorrahs, so it wouldn't ruin the pages. So how long did they learn for? I think they had two Sodorium, they only had two Sodorium a day. So, oh, we learned three Sodorium, they only had two. Each, <laughs> each of six hours. Six hours Sodorium. They were into learning. And it wasn't that they were sitting there to take up space. They were passionate and they were involved. There's a story in, in the Mir Yerushalayim. They used to take the local base Yaakov, the girls' school, for a tour of the yeshiva. I think it was in Yerushalayim. Or maybe it was in Mir Poland, but I think it was in Yerushalayim. They used to take the base Yaakov for a tour in the yeshiva. Imagine what would happen if they brought Neve to come uh. to have, take a tour of Rosamel. <laughs> what happened? So they took the girls for a tour around the base majors. What about the Bochim? What do you mean? They were in the middle of learning. They didn't see the girls. In the middle of learning. That would happen here. Huh? Uh, that would happen here. <coughs> what would happen? What would happen here? Yeah. Same thing. No one, no, no one see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're 100% right. You, you are right, even. You're right. You're right. <laughs> what would be more likely to happen is there'd be a good that would come out of that to us. It'd be good. They should do it. Yeah. You just. Ready, ready. I'm giving you perspective, Mike. No, I understand. And I'm you giving you perspective. Keep on coming to, the, to this, this most ridiculous extreme perspective to, to, <laughs> to turn our insides out. I get it. Because really what we're doing is just a game. It's all a game. What can we do to just mess up our what we think is level? And when we think it's level, we're going to mess up. So we're going to try. We're going to build up this honor. And then we're going to say something to get the, to get out of this honor. And then we're going to try. We're going to get money. So we can get the Shiva wood. And we realize that money's not important. And then all these things like, oh, we're going to, you're going to say yesterday, oh, how you have to look and look at this bracha that you're going to, you know, you're going to be in honor of the game. And then you go, and then you go today with this, you know, when you're at the wedding and you're thinking of food when you're at a wedding. You should just be thinking at the wedding. You think that the food, then you lose. Like, what are you trying to get at? Just flip over everything. That's it. And then, and then we win the game. <laughs> like, what's your what's the pshat? Like, what's what's going the pshat? On? The pshat is it's that just difficult. You just make it as difficult as possible for yourself. You make it as difficult as possible, then you win. Not at all. Not in the slightest. It's 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 coming to explore an idea of there's a problem. The problem began three or four weeks ago when we explored <coughs> the idea of kiruv. Right. Okay. We said like this. You got Kirov. So why, 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 what's happened to Kirov today? Kirov today is you give guys, you pandy to their material desires, and you say, listen guys, come inside, best food, hotel rooms, give them everything that you've got. Never used to be that way, right? To the degree that people, no, people, people wouldn't take people to stay. It used to be that when the tours came, they used to stay in the Orsamech dorms. 
but you can't do that to people anymore because the dorms aren't hotel standard. So you take them to hotel. So what you're doing is you're pandering more and more and more and more and you're lowering the bar lower and lower and lower until essentially what you're giving the people is comfort Judaism. My, my, my complaint, my, complaint my, my understanding is comfort Judaism doesn't go. There have never been fewer Baalei Tshuva in Yeshivas than today. There's never been more money put into Kirov. Something's going wrong somewhere. Something's going wrong somewhere. So it awoke me to the idea that the reason why people aren't getting enamored by spirituality is because we're not giving it to them. We're giving them a candy-coated pseudo-Torah. Torah is not that. But you're not even giving, you're not even teaching the spirituality aspect. I, you, you highlighted beautifully a couple of weeks ago on like, if you see someone that, that has that, someone just, uh, just, it's just spiritual, you just like gravitate toward them, right? And all you're doing is just saying everything that we're doing is wrong and, you know, making us go back to, to that we're, we have to go back to the drawing board. That you're just, you just, you just keep on highlighting what's supposed to be the opposite, the opposite, the opposite. So how do we build up that spiritual aspect about it, except everything else, what we're doing is wrong? Okay, so what I've highlighted in the course of the last few shirim, and the way you've interpreted it, and related to it, and responded to it, may not be completely aligned. What you've heard me saying repeatedly, and I can understand why you're upset with that, you've heard me saying, you're wrong, you're bad, you're evil. So then you think, okay, maybe today will be different. And you come in today and you hear me saying, you're wrong, you're bad, you're evil. And then you think, well, maybe today will be different. And I say the same thing again. I've never said that. I've never said that. I've looked at our life and I've looked at my life. And I'm looking at my life the same as I'm looking at your life. I'm looking at my life and I'm saying, isn't this tragic? Isn't this tragic? There's a world out there. There's a world out there that I'm stepping one foot inside and then running away from it. Putting another foot inside and running away from it. And not diving inside. And the reason I'm not diving inside is because I think if I dive inside, that will be the loss of who I am. And therefore, I remain on the outside. And that kind of relationship with Yiddishkeit produces a comfortable, complacent mediocrity. And that comfortable, complacent mediocrity destroys my inner being. It destroys my passion. It destroys my drive. It destroys my connection to Hashem. Where's the Ahavas Hashem? Where's every single day? If you, every single day, just think about it. Every single day, the Swarim say, you say tw- Shema twice a day. What should your intention be? Intention should be, if it comes to it, Rebbein Sha'olam, I'm giving up my life for you. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Lekan Hashem Echad. It's not, Rebbein Sha'olam, listen, if things happen to be okay and it's convenient for me, so then I may say Shkoyach to you. It means there's nothing else in my life, but that's Shema. Absolutely everything you've got. There is no half measures. It's everything. So I'm seeing that the insidious nature of the world is inoculating my Judaism against spirituality, against true connection to Hashem. And that thought has shaken me to the core. So here I am, and I'm looking back at where I've got to, and thinking, where did the fire go? Why am I living life as such a, such a birote, repetitive, robotic individual? Don't I want to experience the vitality and, and vigor of Judaism? Where's the blood? Where's the life? So then, 
I look at what the models and precedents for our existence in Judaism is, and I see repeatedly the theme comes across again and again and again. Judaism advocates absolute extremism in every aspect of life. And then I think to myself, okay, but, but, that extremism can only be effective and sustainable when I look upon it as a way of unleashing the deeper parts of who I am. If I hang on to my old self, so the extremist extremism just becomes a loud, authoritative voice saying, you're bad and evil and you're still failing. If I look at the extremism as an unlocking of a deep inner core that's waiting to come out, I'll give you an example. And we all got the mysterious nefesh inside of it. There's a person or Samach. Did we discuss the frat party mezuzah story? No. Person or Samach that he became from in the following way. Raised completely not religious, no clue. Okay. Oh yeah, we did. I think we did. You've been here long. Go ahead. No affiliation, and he he's, he's he goes to college and he's had a great party on a Friday night, and he's lying by the fireplaces in the winter, and he's half drunk in state, and one of his college friends says, "Hey, look what I got!" And obviously he has the house at mezuzahs, and he's ripped off the mezuzahs, and he's got these. And he sees through his blurred eyes these mezuzah scrolls in his friend's hand. He says, yeah, let's throw these in the fire, his friend says. So he realizes the mezuzahs and he says, don't do that, don't do that. His <coughs> friend says, that's not cool, come on. He says, don't do that. And the friend says, hey, why are you so upset? And he throws him in the fire and he watches the mezuzahs burn. He's all shook up. He goes out and just goes for a walk for two or three hours and he's just He's, he's shocked by his own reaction to what happened. But he saw that there's a deep connection to And I pretty much, when I say that story, you all probably feel like also a sense of deep shock. Like the thought, the thought of mezuzahs burning in the fire is a terrifying thought for us. Well, it's just, it's writing on, on parchment. What's the big deal? But it's shocking to us. It's shocking to us. It's because we have a deeper connection than we think we have. And the deeper connection, the extremism, is a means of allowing that deeper connection to come out. Extremism is not something that is, that, is, that, is, that is negative. It's something which is a necessary part of greatness. It's something which is a necessary part in Judaism of true happiness. A person can only achieve, only achieve fulfillment and, and greatness when he allows himself to be extreme. But, I agree with you, the degree of extremity has to be aligned to the person that's displaying it. Not every person's extremity, for example, Rabbi Ari Levine, Tzadik of Jerusalem, the most beautiful chesedika man. I was recently, well not recently, a couple, a year ago I think it was, I was in a taxi, and the person who was driving the taxi was a soldier that was wounded and he was in, Rabbi Levine died uh, 50 years ago, 40 years, I'm not sure. And he, maybe less, 30, 40 years ago, he was in a, he was in, he was in a, a hospital ward with Rabbi And when Abi, Rabbi was sick at the time, and when they wheeled him into the ward, so the soldier said, you know, do you want to, he said, are you joking? He said, I asked to be put in the ward with the soldiers. And he used to speak to them as if they were his children. 
And this man, who's not a religious man, you could see that he was still visibly moved by the fact that he shared the hospital world with the tzaddik. He said, you cannot believe the love that he showed. Reb Arya, what we do was, he used to go and take messages to the, to the prisoners, in the Jewish prisoners during the time of the British mandate, and he literally used to walk through minefields. That's extreme. He was extreme in his chesed. He was extreme in his chesed. Anyone that succeeded, the Chazanesh, the way the, way the Chazanesh was in terms of every aspect. If you go to the Gedolim, there was always an element of total extremity in terms of the way they dealt with mitzvahs. Complete. In terms of chesed, what people gave up. People gave up. They were extreme what they gave up for other people. They didn't say, go, go, go to Baron Epstein's house in Bnei Brak. He's one of the most venerated sages. He lives in a hovel. Rebel Yashiv's wife, he lives in a hovel as well, was in Meshurim, was asked, someone said, please can we, redo, can we redo your house? She said, are you out of your mind? Change these walls which have absorbed my husband's Torah? Never. Never. These people live in extreme conditions. But they live idyllic lives. They live lives which every moment has meaning. Every moment is great. They live with grandeur. They don't live with mediocrity. So the question is, do we want to be mediocre or do we want to be great? Do we want to have absolute fulfillment or do we want to have partial fulfillment? Do we want to have absolute expression of our deeper inner essence or do we want to kind of like pay our dues? Okay? So in other words, I'm not, I'm not saying that Tonight, you have to stop learning until 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm not saying that. Oh. But I'm saying that that's something that would be something that would, that would be amazing. I wouldn't relate to that as, no, what you're talking about, that's going too far. When people see successful men, they somehow overlook the extremities. When a person is an extremely successful whatever, they don't say, yeah, but he went overboard because he, that CEO, do you know how many sleepless nights he had? Isn't that ridiculous? They look and they say, isn't that amazing that he's willing to give up so much to do that success? No one looks at, in the secular world, Mother Teresa, and they say, she's such an extremist. Why don't she just get herself a life and a husband and chill out? <laughs> <laughs> because people admire extremity because it's a description of a deep inner striving of perfection. And how do we, why, and why does that switch turn off when it comes to religiosity? Right. So, in terms of religiosity, we've got, what I'm trying to do now is examine a few faulty premises which we interpret self-fulfillment, greatness and connection to Hashem as extreme religious coercion. And therefore, we shy away from them. And until a person adjusts that switch, so you'll spend your life justifying mediocrity and thinking it's success. And for me, that would be a deep, 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 tragedy. It really would. It really would. And the way I've seen the Baal Shiva movement go over the last decade is it's sinking and sinking and sinking. When I was in Yeshiva, the most difficult struggle was not to push yourself too hard. And not very rarely an issue for anyone. It was hard? I was hard to hold back. I didn't know when to hold back. I went through times in my life that I went one time when I would wake up during the week, I'd wake up 4 o'clock every morning on Shabbos because of Shabbos at 3 o'clock in the morning. 
And it was difficult to realize that that was imbalanced and unhealthy for me at that point in time. But that was a struggle. That was a struggle. Now, the struggle is, a guy comes to the Sudan, back in the day, I'm talking, not talking about the Mirishil and Volajan, in the center, the base minister was packed until 11 o'clock. Packed. I'd not say the finish is finished at 10.30. Okay, but people in the Sudan, learning, they vibing. Over here, 10.15, 10.30, you know, on the clock, goodbye. We've got stuff to do. We've got to catch up on our Facebook. We've got to email. We've got to watch. We have to chill out. It's been a hard day. I, 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 don't, I don't think the people have changed. I just think our attitude has changed. I can tell you, I believe it is absolutely sustainable as a group to be able to be consistently engaged in absolute beautiful spiritual development. And a lot of the things that we do are absolute nonsense and waste of time. And we don't need them for our, We kid ourselves that we need them for our emotional well-being, but we don't at all. Right. So, I just want to ask you, so then are you saying that, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but, uh, but at the same time, our, our whole thing about like the point to what you're doing, and, and our, back to our like, discussion about Kirov and how this whole thing started. So now, I'm saying, so why are the JLE groups and the South African Awesome group that are here on Awesome Tour, why aren't they here in your Musashir and listening to this? Surely, if this is what you're saying, this is, is this, and this is something that's so important, and people aren't being not even harsh Good. enough, but aren't having showing being the honest. Fire. They're not being they're honest. Being honest. They're not being honest. Take guys. Yeah. Okay. So there's a few reasons why. Firstly, because they had a presentation upstairs. Secondly, is because I'm teaching them anyway, and I slip it in. But I don't slip it in the same way because oh, yeah. in yeah. order in order for me to speak this way to you, there has to be a certain level of understanding what Yiddishkeit is. You have, you, have, you're enough, you have enough experience with the Torah and the beauty and the brilliance and the diversity and the complexity and all of that. So therefore, for you, it's a value that you want to achieve. You're just not quite sure when and how and you may have misconceptions about it. But when you're still on the outside and you're looking at this as not even an option in your life and then I say to you, what you talk is not an option. You think it's not an option, and I start to say, it's the only option, and if you don't do this, you've wasted your life. So then you say, since I'm outside the box anyway, that's where I'm staying, because that sounds way scary. Okay, so I agree, but so I'm saying, so then what's the way that you do it with them? You show them this, this, this capturing beautiful spirituality. Correct. That's, that's wants to... Correct. Not, not, not like you said... Give show, them 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 show them a gemara. Show them a gemara. That's what I'm trying to teach them. Show them a gemara. Show the incredible power of logic. Show the, 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 the truth of analysis and the ability to see things from multiple perspectives and the intricacy of the logic. Back that up with the beauty and the aesthetic genius of the mystical world. Complement that with the transcendence of the Shmonasre. Where it's impossible to reach a level. If you imagine if people would go, travel, a person who's spiritually interested would travel a thousand miles to India, ascend the Himalayas to meet the Guru who will give him the ultimate meditation. The Shmona Esra was written by prophets. You ain't going to find a meditation as sophisticated as in the world today. You're not going to. Each word, the, 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 the order, the time of day, everything is perfectly structured. And Rebbe Chaim says, every single Shemona Yisrael, every single Jew, from the time it was made, has a different tikkun to make, and the Anshayi Knesset like had that all in mind. It's impossible to comprehend. 
So give them that accessibility. Teach a person how you say a bracha. Teach a person how you say a bracha. If a person knows how you say a bracha, it will change the way he eats and drinks for the rest of his life. Or you can say to them, yeah, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can be so, so, you know, try to be cool, try to be cool, say your bracha as quick as possible so they don't look at you, see if you are odd. your minutes off so that you can speak to them in between. And then sell them some ersatz Torahs that makes them feel good. What are you doing? What are you doing? No, I agree. I just want, I, I was interested because that I wanted to see like how it manifests what you're saying with, with, with my behavior. <laughs> No, are you no, saying that so you criticize? You're not. You're not. It sounds like you're, you can't be criticizing college campus here because that that is so. Exactly that's what you're so no, you're saying, it sounds like you're criticizing the way that yeshivas do here because like campus college campus is a much more complex thing. It could be that that's not even care of. That's that that's that's making friends with a person. You're not teaching them Torah. You're trying to make friends with a person. So you, may, you know you can only you can only teach a person when you have a relationship. But so you just said it's going to push them out. It's it's either you're going to bring them in, right, by watering it down, or you're pushing them out. No, you can you can you can form a friendship with a person. The friendship doesn't have a flavor to it. I want to be your friend. Now now that we're friends, I say I'd like to share something with you, because now we have a friendship. So then, what are you criticizing? We say I'm criticizing anything. You're criticizing the cure. Go on, go on, go on, Mike. Why, why has there been a change in the way cure happened? So my, my, I don't know why. What I'm saying is as follows, and this is what I'm doing, what I'm doing. What I feel is we've lost faith in our own Yiddishkeit. It's not a problem in Kirov, it's a problem in the firm world. Our davening, if our davening and our learning and there's no fire and passion and giving up my life for it, so I feel, do you know what? I'm going to tell these guys I'm going to give mm. them the spirituality, but I didn't experience that, so I can't say that. So let me give them hamburgers. That's the problem. That's the point I'm making. That's the point I'm coughing so on and on. And that's my point. My point, the Kirov is just a symptom. That's not the disease. The disease is us. If we would be sitting in, if they would walk into the base midge and I'd say, I don't know what's going on over here, but that's fire. It's one thing. If they're looking at I say, I don't know what's going on, but it looks like Sunday afternoon tea. It's a problem. I see what you mean.